big changes here at Stadium Journey, but luckily for you, we're all the same. Welcome back to the Stadium Journey podcast. Thank you once again for listening. Stadium Journey is the industry leader in stadium reviews for the sports fans with full stadium reviews of over 2,600 sporting venues in 61 countries. Check out all the reviews on our website, stadiumjourney.com. Also, check us out on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash stadiumjourney, on Twitter at stadiumjourney, and on Instagram also at stadiumjourney. And if you like what you hear on the podcast or see on the website, think about supporting our work on Patreon. Supporter levels start at just $2 per month and come with exclusive members-only rewards. Go to patreon.com slash stadiumjourney for details. To find all the best podcasts on the internet, go to our host website, hiactalkradio.com. There you'll find Obey the Puck, Wrestling Podcast, MMA Podcast, and so much more. You won't be able to stand it. You can also find all of HIAC podcasts on any of your finer podcast aggregators. Check us out on Twitter at HIAC Talk Radio. Have you ever wondered how many stadiums you've been to and how that compares to your friends or what your favorite team's record is based on only the games you've attended? There's now an app for that, Sports Passport, the easy way to track, chronicle, and relive every game you attend. Visit sportspassport.com or find Sports Passport in the Apple App Store today. Sports Passport is the official sponsor of the Stadium Journey podcast. Now it's time to introduce the team. I am Paul Baker, and you can follow my Stadium Journeys on Twitter or Instagram at PuckmanRI. With me, as always, is Dave Cotney. Dave, where can our listeners follow your journeys online? You can follow me on Sports Passport, a view from my seat, Instagram and Twitter at Profan9. And coming in from the road for as long as he can be here, as he said a minute ago, is Mark Viquez. Mark, where can our listeners follow your travels cross-country online? Um, They can follow me on Ballpark Hunter, and that's on the Twitter. And last but certainly not least is our producer coming to us tonight from Howie in the Hills, Florida. He's the above-average comedian, Dan Kalachiko. Dan, where can our listeners follow you online? I was truly lost here, so uh, follow me on Twitter. You really get along around, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm so tired. DanLaw83. And joining us tonight is Chris Green. Uh, Those of you who are longtime listeners of HIAC Talk Radio, this is not the Chris Green who does our wrestling podcast. This is Stadium Journey's Chris Green, who is our resident auto racing guru and our Florida regional correspondent. So, Chris, thanks for joining us, and where can our listeners follow you online? Oh, boy, you can follow me on Instagram at ChrisGreenPhotos, Twitter at ChrisGreenPics, and ChrisGreenPhotographyLLC on Facebook. Very nice, and again, thanks for joining us. So, as usual, we are going to start by recapping our vast travels, and uh, Mark, we'll start with you because the way you've been going cross-country, you may be right out the door before the show ends. Yeah, I am uh, running on fumes. I think I've been on the road for since June 11th. I've been in my house for five days in the last 30, the last month. So 25 of those days I'm on the road. Uh, the last you heard from me, I was in Reading, Pennsylvania. Awesome ballpark, top two, top three on my list of minor league ballparks. Amazing time. I can't describe it. It's just so hard to write that review, but you ever go there, it is a carnival, it is a baseball game, it is a history book. It is what minor league baseball should be like. 
this past week, I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I took in uh, a Twins game at Target Field. That's my second game. Still one of my favorite ballparks. Loved everything about it. Uh, the views, the design, the food. They have these little restaurants to eat at that have uh, balconies. You can get there easily by the mass transit. I went to Target Center to check out the Minnesota Lynx WNBA game. Not one of my favorite arenas, but, man, those fans are insane. 9,000 screaming WNBA fans really light up that place, and I was floored. But the arena, it's in a great neighborhood. It's easy to get to. That review will come out soon. I also checked out the Minnesota United FC. They currently play at TCF Bank Stadium on the campus of Minnesota University. Just a temporary home until they open up their new stadium next year, which is going to be right down the road on the link as well. Great crowd, great atmosphere. You know, it was a, it was a great day for soccer that day, and I can't complain. Their fans are awesome. Uh, some of the fans, when they get on the light rail system, are going back to St. Paul. Others are going to Minneapolis, and they will chant and they will cheer as they get on the train. And once I got on the train, I was stuffed like sardines, and people were pounding their drums and shouting and cheering. That really made the atmosphere amazing. And then, of course, St. Paul Saints, CHS Field, one of the best ballparks you'll ever go to. Uh, that was my second time there. They actually had all the fans come onto the field after the game for food trucks and to watch fireworks. It was like the opposite of disco demolition. Everybody was happy. It was incredible. It's another ballpark. You know, Reading and St. Paul are my two favorite ballparks. I had a chance to see them the same week. So yes, uh, Target Center, uh, they have gone through or in the process of going through a rather si- significant uh, renovation. What's, yes. what's that looking like? And yeah. uh, Well, they, they, changed the, they changed the exterior. It has kind of like a, a bronze wooden finish now. It's a little more sleeker. Uh, the inside has a lobby that, uh, a little more open to the elements, a lot more natural uh, natural light is coming in. They have a couple new st- uh, structure uh, statues there. I mean, I'm, sculptures, not statues. They do have a statue of George Mikan, which is awesome. Uh, they have a, a chandelier of a basketball net, and they have a, a crystal ball going through it. So that's kind of nice. It opens it up to some of the bars that are in that area because, uh, you know, it's down, it's in a huddle. It's in a weird location. It's, it's the seedy part of downtown. And then it opens up to the warehouse district and target field, which is like a hip upcoming place. And, uh, now fans get to kind of walk into, uh, this arena that doesn't feel like it's so enclosed as it once did, but it's, it's sort of just kind of stuck in through the downtown buildings and through the baseball park. Uh, once you get inside, it's, you know, all the seats have been remodeled. Uh, they have some great food choices there. The food choices were amazing. Like there, there were some odd things you can get there that I would not have expected. Uh, some very pristine upscale food items. Uh, but for an arena itself, it fits perfectly for the WNBA. I comparing it to some other arenas I've been to, it feels like it's, uh, stuck in the early nineties when it comes to design. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, perfect for a 9,000-seat crowd, but when you're trying to com- compete against MSG or Air Canada Center or, or some of the big boys, it's 
it's not, I don't think it's going to make a top five list of favorites. Uh, love the picture of you and Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, my goodness. I missed her the last time I was there. Yeah, Mary Tyler Moore. She's much, much shorter than I thought. Much shorter, but she uh, she's still rocking that, that early 70s outfit. Did they put her back? Because last time I was in Minneapolis, she was moved inside because they were doing some work down there. Uh, she's outside. I think she's on 7th and uh, – oh, what the heck's the name of that? It's it's where the the free bus goes up and down. Oh my god, I forgot that the name of it. That was actually where the show was set, right at yeah. that intersection. Yeah, Seventh yeah, Street, and um, I, I'm I'm gonna know the name after uh, after the show goes off the air tonight. But it's uh, it's this main promenade that's uh, cut off the traffic except for buses, and it kind of links the convention center uh, up to the light rail system and and the skyways. You can go through Minneapolis through the the skyway. So if it's Two degrees in January, you can uh, never leave your confines of a building. And there's a bunch of malls and shops in there. Nice. We've mentioned Minneapolis is one of uh, one of those underrated cities. Oh, it, de- it, def- it definitely is. And before I leave, I also checked out Amateur Baseball in Meesville, which was about an hour south. Uh, a 600-seat stadium, halfway full on 4th of July because a major rainstorm was coming through. One of the best brats I've ever had was at this ballpark. It's locally made specifically for the Meesville Mudhens. Was amazing. I, sh- I should have just bought the whole case and shoved it in a cooler and brought it back with me. So awesome time in Minneapolis. Love love that city. I don't know what it's like in January, but during the summer, it's a great place to be. All right. And Dave, uh, the past couple of weeks, you went to a couple of Familiar places, but with a different twist on them. Yeah, a couple old favorites uh, hit uh, the Toronto Blue Jays for my mom's birthday. And uh, this time we hung out at Sightlines, which is the um, it's the restaurant that is under it's under the hotel and it's above the the bar in Centerfield. And uh, it's uh, it used to be the club, the the super bougie club, uh, but now it is a, an open uh, restaurant, open to the public. Uh, actually, I bought this for the first time. I bought tickets right off Ticketmaster for it. So uh, uh, great, uh, great food. Um, the buffet is unbelievable. It's all you can eat. Uh, I mean, it's not cheap, um, but you know, it's my mom's birthday, so it was worth it. Uh, the other event that I hit was uh, on July the 3rd. I went to Coca-Cola Field for the Buffalo Bisons, and they have an annual Independence Eve game. So usually what happens is the Bisons are at home on the 3rd, and they take off and they go somewhere else um, for the 4th. So what makes it neat is they uh, – what they do is they have the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra there and they play in center field. And after the game, uh, the, the Philharmonic gets ready. They play, uh, they do a number of, um, kind of new, new songs. And then they do like the same set that they do every year. And that was, uh, that's pretty awesome. And then the fireworks kick it into gear. So, uh, a really unique event and, and kind of marrying two different 
two different experiences. Like it's not often that you think um, baseball in one hand and the Philharmonic Orchestra in another. So yeah, good good day there and a really neat event. Cool. Yeah, just seeing the Philharmonic on on the baseball fields looks like a really really cool event. So uh, for me, the last couple of weeks. Uh, let's see. Let's start two weeks ago. Went down to Philadelphia, sat in 100-degree heat and watched the Phillies play. That's always fun. Yeah, Citizens Bank Park um, never seems to get a whole lot of love, but it's, in my opinion, it's a solid place to see a game. Lots, oh, yeah. of, stuff, lots of stuff to do, uh, you know, solid food choices. It was very entertaining. Hadn't been there in quite a while. The place hadn't changed at all, so that was nice. And then the next day I went, this was the weekend it was 100 degrees up here in the Northeast. And so the next day on the way home, we stopped in at the Trenton Thunder at Arm and Hammer Park. And uh, I think the heat kept everybody away. It was ridiculously hot. And I, I don't think there were 500 people there for a Sunday afternoon game. Mm-hmm. So it was just stinking hot. And there was no shade, so it didn't help. And so on the advice of you guys, I tried uh, that Trenton Delicacy pork roll. And I know I'm at a, I was at a ballpark, so I didn't get the real deal. Now, just but, tell man, your story, Paul. To me, to just... me... It was ham. Come on, let's call it what it is. All right, first things first. A very good ham. First, first, first things first. First things first. From the from a <laughs> from a fat jersey guy. Okay. Uh, Trenton pork. I'm going to go on record. Trenton pork roll is the worst friggin' pork roll you could ever eat. Um, don't at me because I'm right and you're wrong. It's disgusting. You get Taylor. You get you get Taylor pork roll. Uh, and you don't eat it at a stadium. I was trying to tell you off air. Um, my uh, Kelly looked at the picture that you posted, and she said, "That's not yeah." A- what is that? Well, what th- I did is I saw the choices, and I forgot Mark's advice from his review. Go with the go with the basic. Go with the egg and cheese and oh. pork roll sandwich. So I was like, well, this one looked good. It was supposed to be a steak and cheese with bacon stuff, but it was just – it ended up being just a mess. So that was your fault. It's not It's not their fault. You screwed that up. Yeah. <laughs> I screwed up the order. It's my fault. No. Yeah, I would suggest if you're in New Jersey, again, go to a diner and get pork roll, egg, and cheese on a Kaiser roll. Or if you're in northern Jersey, make sure you call it Taylor Ham because yes. apparently there's a division. The northerners say Taylor ham, the southerners say pork roll, but we grew up on that stuff. That was for breakfast, that was at lunch, that was always in the refrigerator, so we uh, we have a little uh, bias towards that uh, salty little spicy, God knows what's in that. I don't know, but my heart delicacy. loves it. <laughs> it's, better than, it's better than Scrapple, I can tell you that. Oh, world's away from oh, Scrapple. Oh, Scrapple, yes. you're not going to get yeah. me to try Scrapple. Forget no, that. I'll, do you one, I'll do you one better to, to piggyback on what Mark said, because he is a 100, 1,000, 1 million percent correct, <laughs> um, is you go to a whole, uh, go to a crappy looking diner, because that's when it's going to yeah. taste. Go to a diner that looks like it's been there for 50 years oh, and, they haven't up, and they haven't updated the outside, but the inside's nice. <laughs> go there mm-hmm. and order pork roll cheese on a Kaiser. Um, or Taylor Ham. Um, one of my favorite uh, bits recently is the new governor of um, Murphy. Yeah, Governor Murphy uh, was on the Colbert. Yeah, Colbert, and, and he was asking him because he was trying to convince us Jerseyites that Central Jersey exists. It doesn't. Um, but he, <laughs> he's holding a package of Taylor pork roll, and he goes, "What's the name of this?" He goes. 
What he said, Taylor. Ha- he said Taylor Ham and then Ham Pork or something weird, and it said Pork. And I'm like, that's it. Get him out. Get him out. He's out of here. Yeah, yeah. It's it. I grew up in an area where we called it both. Uh, yeah. the section I grew up in. You know, I, I love how big New Jersey is that we could have dividing lines over food names. But, and it's the same food, right? You just call it. It's, it's, it's the same exactly food. Yeah, the, the same. two major companies are Taylor and Case, and I think Case is the one that's out of uh, uh, that's at the ballpark in Trenton. Yeah, which uh, I, I mean, I Bravo to creating all these goofy ideas with Taylor Ham, but Taylor Ham is, is meant to be eaten on with cheese, egg on a roll, maybe put it on a hamburger, but I don't know. The, some of their contraptions they had there, I was kind of like, okay. Not supposed to be done. See, my fault for not remembering the advice given in the Stadium Journey review. See? So always, listeners, check out the review before you go somewhere so you don't make the same mistake I did. So uh, let's see. After my Trenton debacle, that wasn't a debacle. It was, it wasn't a debacle. No, it was the, ga- the game the, sunk. It was 100 degrees. You ordered the sandwich wrong. It's not a debacle. You screwed that. Yeah, and that's a shame that only 500 people were there because I know what it's it was- like to be at a. I know what it's like to be at a ballpark with. With a hundred degree heat, that was Kingsport, Kingsport, Tennessee, for me a few years ago, and it was horrible. Because you're right, a lot of these new ballparks don't have shade. Even even the ones they're building this century don't have shade, and you're sweating to the elements. And Potomac doesn't have shade. Well, they don't have a ballpark really. It's just, it's just a director set. <laughs> but they are getting a new ballpark. Yeah, yeah, they're they're getting a new ballpark about 15 miles uh, away. So. Good there for goes. them. It's about time. Yeah, it's about time. Listen, the hardcore fans will still go. It's just to drive up 95, yeah. which is like an hour on the weekend around here. Yeah. Uh, Maybe <laughs> Beloit, Wisconsin will we'll get a new ballpark too because that, that may be the – that's another erector set. Now, I thought, and I've said this on the show before, that they were building a new ballpark in Madison, <laughs> which is not too far from Beloit. Uh, Wisconsin? I hope I'm not wrong. Yeah. Uh, th- Madison, that's home to the Northwoods League Mallards that attract about 6,800 people a game. And what the ownership did there was just add on to that stadium. If you ever look at pictures, if we can ever get somebody to review that, uh, you will see that as one hellacious good time because they have uh, the Duck Blind, which is this giant outdoor two-level bar where fans pay 40 bucks. It's all you can eat and all you can drink, and that's local Wisconsin brew and uh they they also made a gift shop out of um I think they took old bleacher seats and made it into into the actual gift shop so that at one time was a, a janky looking ballpark but they have made that into uh you know like I, it, it's amazing how many people they get up there it's uh well if they've got carnival. spotted cow and the other other varieties of the what is it the new galoo new, new glories yeah I did I did pick some up I did pick up uh, Moon Man I picked up Cabin Fever and and some Spotted Cow definitely have to leave Wisconsin with that and I think they charge I think they give you discounts if the more six packs you buy the more they take off at certain uh, Woodman's Woodman's grocery stores they they give you discounts the more you buy. So it's it's a cornucopia of just fine beers in Wisconsin. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I went out there last summer, everybody said spotted cow. Got to have some spotted cow. And we liked it so much, I brought a couple of cases and brought them home with me. So can, can I go back? Good to as pork? advertised. Can I go back to pork roll real quick? No. 
No, no. I wanted to ask another Jersey boy. Is it acceptable to have it on a hoagie roll? Uh, I, I've had it on hoagie rolls in at Fat Cats at Rutgers. They make these sandwiches called Fat Cats. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. Because there used to be a place in Haddon Township called Pat's that did that. And it was equally as good as having it on a Kaiser, but nobody yeah. else in the area did oh, it. Oh, so yeah. I was like, you can do that. Cool, sweet. All right. Back to you, Paul. <laughs> All right. So that was uh, two weekends ago. That was actually my birthday weekend. But my wife asked me, where do you want to go for your birthday? I said, Trenton, New Jersey. So <laughs> who, who, who in the world goes? If, you only, the, if you were only there a few weeks before, I could have met up with you. That would have yeah. been a good time. But I just it, like, it seems like our schedules are like that all summer. Just, just was, missing each other. Yeah. I just yeah like, the funny thing is, I think this summer, I think Mark and Dave and myself, we're all making basically the same circuit through the southeast with Atlanta and uh, Birmingham and a couple other cities. But we're all doing, we all did it a few weeks apart. Yeah. And I almost was able to meet up with you in um, Brockton. My brother had a gig up in Boston, and if if he decided to get a hotel or if he was staying somewhere that wasn't a couch to sleep on, I probably would have been able to uh, to make that trip. But oh well, he yeah, loved yeah, it. He you, wanted to, you wanted to get on me about Trenton? No, I was going to say that it's weird that where do you want to go for your birthday? I'm like, I want to go to Trenton, Philly. Like, who said that? I don't <laughs> well, it was basically it was the the farthest we could drive in one weekend and still make it back for work on Monday. That just to, just to add to that, uh, like for somebody born in the area, and and Mark, you were further north, so I don't know how many times you've been there. It's like you go to Philly into historical Philadelphia like once a year up until the age of fifteen with school, right? So you're there ten years. Yeah, ago. Frank Franklin Institute was was yeah was a field trip we would take many times. Yeah, yeah, and that. But ever since I've been dating Kelly, and we're on six years. I keep promising her to take her to historic Philadelphia, and when it comes around, I'm like I don't want to go. I've seen it all. <laughs> so, so when you're like, I want to go there for my birthday, I'm like, oh, that's actually a good idea. I just thought of that. All right, so that was two weeks ago. Last week weekend, I had a kind of an interesting weekend. On Saturday night, we went up to Keene, New Hampshire. To Alumni Field, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Keene, New Hampshire. It's not a place you can get to accidentally. It's not served by any highways. It's a night. It's a beautiful little ballpark. Uh, Keene is a little town of about twenty thousand people. It's got a nineteen forties wooden grandstand that runs up the first baseline, Ooh. and it just looks the ballpark looks like it's right out of a Norman Rockwell painting. So that was mm-hmm. a really nice experience. And I actually one of those places where you bring your own chairs if you want. Sit them down right on the foul line and just watch the game right from up close. And we met a couple of people from New Hampshire, a couple of couples from New Hampshire who actually were big fans of Stadium Journey. So it was a fun night getting to talk, getting to talk shop while I was watching the game. And then on the Sunday, we went back up to New Hampshire because I found a ballpark in New England I hadn't been to. So I was like, yes, score. Unfortunately, the ballpark I hadn't been to was part of the Empire Pro Baseball League. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that league at all. One of those, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, a seat-of-your-pants type operation. It's got six teams this year, a um, couple located in upstate New York, one in Maine, one in New Hampshire, and a couple in Puerto Rico, believe it or not. One of these leagues where the players... It, it depends what week it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's how exactly. it comes across. Exactly. It's one of those leagues where uh, people, you know, who have just not been drafted or they've just been released from their pro contracts. They, they're not ready to give up and they're hoping maybe they can get somebody's attention, capture a scout's attention, get with that one more contract. 
the level of ball is about like rookie league or low short season A. So not the best baseball. Uh, so we went to Concord, New Hampshire, to Memorial Field, which was a decent place. But the funny thing is we got to the ballpark right as the National Anthem was playing. Now, this is our third Empire League game, so we were not expecting big things, but we were not prepared for this. Eleven people were there. So there was, was there a snowstorm? People. Was it 100 degrees? It was 91. So hot for New Hampshire, but, you know, not ridiculously so. And, you know, it was a bare-bones presentation. There were no concessions, you know, no food. Uh, the bathrooms were a little bit of a hike. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody unless you're one of those people who needs to hit every ballpark on the map. So it was a very interesting day. Yeah, you know what? Next year that ballpark will – that team won't be around and you don't have to worry about it. Exactly. <laughs> well, two years ago we actually saw the Wild play at uh, Arthur, Pap- Arthur and Martha Pappas Field on the campus of Franklin Pierce University in Ringe, New Hampshire. And it was pretty much the same experience. They had more people that day. I think they had 37 the night we went up there. So yeah, well, that's... it's the Empire League. You know, you you, you know what you're going to get when you when you go there. And not, much, so, not much. Yeah, but it was an interesting day. You know, it, it, I enjoyed it. No, the, well, you know, I enjoy a wiffle ball game in my backyard. So. From there, we went down to uh, one of the places that you called Mark one of your most disappointing ballparks. A couple of weeks ago, Lalasha Field in Lowell, yeah. Mass. Uh, it wasn't disappointing, I assume. Lalasha is not one of my favorite places. It's crowded, busy. It's hard to concentrate on the game because there's just too much going on. It's one of those minor league teams that tries to sell the whole experience. So people aren't there for the game. People are there for all the extracurriculars. Yeah. So that kind of ruins it for me. It's a place where it's tough to get around. But it's uh, Lowell is like. 40 miles from Boston, so this is a Boston farm team, so you get people who are really into the Red Sox, and you might see one or two players who might make it all the way up. Yeah, I did like their souvenir shop. I thought they had some pretty good deals on uh, some old merchandise and game-used paraphernalia. So, And uh, also there, if you drive up to the top of the parking deck, you can watch the game from the top. Yes, and people do do that, believe it or not, yeah. even though yeah. even though you can get a ticket for 7 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, they're up there with a cooler beer and a couple high school kids with their girls. Who knows what else they're doing up there after it gets dark. But, yeah, I saw them up there. I left them alone after a while. Yeah, I think that was probably for the best. Yeah. yeah. So that was my voyages for the last couple of weeks. So, Chris, uh, your recent trips actually segue really nicely into our topic today of auto racing. So do you want to tell us about where you've been in the last couple of weeks? Um, I just got back this past weekend uh, uh, from Daytona National Speedway, um, all of an hour drive away from my house. Um, and the NASCAR weekend for the summer race there. Um, before that, about two weeks ago, I was at Road America for IndyCar uh, and Pirelli World Challenge, arguably one of the best racetracks in the world, if not in the entire country. And, uh, upwards of almost 100,000 people annually. First year that IndyCar came back a couple years ago, they had some estimates of 250,000 people there on Sunday on race day. Um, it's just, it's a massive track and it's a, it's an absolutely beautiful facility. They've done a lot of, uh, updates to the facility since IndyCar came back, um, especially with the, the campers in mind of 
brand new restrooms with showers, uh, new ticket uh, taking area, new entranceways, um, just really fan friendly, uh, making a lot of uh, pathways to get from one secluded areas to another. Um, just overall a, a fantastic place if you're ever in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, um, and, and really want to go to a good race. Uh, and then before that, I was uh, in Indianapolis, not for the Indy 500, but for uh, Trans Am and some vintage racing uh, and uh, took in a game at uh, the home of the Pacers, but uh, coincidentally was for the Indiana Fever of the WNBA. And um, yeah, mostly mostly racetracks on, on my travel list for me. So is that your bread and butter, the uh, racetrack, race, uh, auto racing circuit? Yes. So I'm a professional photographer, uh, first and foremost, in motorsports, um, and I have clients in mostly Pirelli World Challenge, IMSA, Trans Am, uh, occasional NASCAR races thrown in, IndyCar, um, but I'm traveling two to three weeks uh, a month uh, at a race in some form, um, and when I'm not on the road, I'm usually at a local SCCA race weekend or club racing of some form here in, in Florida, so that's... That's where I I make the majority of my uh, my bread and butter, as you say, is uh, in car racing. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Glad to have you on tonight. Glad to be here. So for the uh, the very uninformed, Chris, and that's me. I got my hand up. Um, <laughs> yeah. When uh, Dave was talking about uh, that, he was telling me that you were in Daytona. I was like, wait a minute, isn't Daytona in February? He's like, well, I think they do more than one one race a year there. So I really know next to nothing about about auto racing. So you said you focus mostly on the IndyCar stuff. Can you give us a little uh, contrast, compare and contrast between NASCAR, which most people may think of when they think of auto racing, and the IndyCar stuff or the Grand Prix stuff? Yeah. So it's funny because every I say, "Oh, I'm a photographer in motorsports." I'm like, "Oh, you must do NASCAR." And I'm like, "Honestly, I'm lucky if I go to one NASCAR race a year." Um, People tend to generalize if you're not in into motorsports. It's true they'll generalize into NASCAR, uh, with the only exception being, oh, you must go to the Indy 500, which is not NASCAR. It's IndyCar. Um, NASCAR is primarily um, stock cars, uh, sedan racing. If you're looking at IndyCar, you're looking at more uh, futuristic. I guess I've heard some people describe it as futuristic open wheel car racing. Um, about half of their schedules on road courses, half of them is on ovals, whereas NASCAR is fully on ovals except for two or three races a year on road courses. Um, and then the stuff that I do, uh, with sports cars, there's multiple series, there's Trans Am, there's IMSA, there's Pirelli World Challenge. Those are anything from a one hour sprint race to the 24 hour long endurance races on, uh, road course circuits. So, uh, there, there's a wide, and, and in there there's, drifting and and drag racing in additional as well so my racing experience is is just massively more than paul's um i've been to at what was at one point the toronto molson indy once and i'm not even sure what it's called anymore and uh i will say it and i'm not i'm not a huge race fan even past going live you know i'll sort of tune in uh periodically um we used to have some pretty decent canadian names and and they seem to have sort of died or retired so uh but one thing about the the toronto indy is that it was a street course 
And it was probably one of the things that I liked the least about it because outside of the instant spectacle of these cars going really fast and making this massive amount of noise, you really had no idea what was going on. Uh, are you more positive on the oval racing or the street course? And did I just not quite hit the street course in the right way? Um, well, it, it, that question's answer is relative to each respective person. Um, there are people who only like ovals for the exact reason that you've stated. Um, there's people who find oval racing very boring. Um, and prefer to go to road courses or street courses. Um, the nice thing is the bigger races you go to, if you were to go to the Toronto race, I believe it's coming up this weekend again. Uh, for Indy Yes, Cars. it is this weekend. Yeah. yeah. So if you were to go back to that, you would notice now that in a lot of the um, more fan-centric areas or the grandstand locations, um, on the opposite side of the track from wherever that grandstand may be, there's, they usually tend to erect large screens. Um, so you can actually see the race broadcast the whole weekend of whatever's going on on track in addition to what's happening right in front of you. Cause yes, there, it, it, it's true. You go to a track that's a road course, whether it be, uh, where I was just from in Road America, that's four and a half miles long in the hills outside of Wisconsin, of uh, Milwaukee, uh, in the middle of the forest where you can only see wherever you're at in one location, or if you're on a street course and you're blocked off by giant skyscrapers because you're in the middle of a city, it's the same premise. You're going to pretty much see wherever you are at that location and nothing else going on around that. So they do a really good job of uh, putting up large uh, TV screens so you can see what's going on um, and you don't lose track of, oh, something happened over in this corner, and then you don't wonder why, oh, first place was in first and now... The next lap, I don't see him at all. Oh, he had a problem on pit road. So you, you don't lose out as much. And, and that used to be a big complaint about road courses and street courses. Um, whereas ovals, for the most part, unless you're sitting on the bottom rows, uh, you could pretty much see everything right there because it's all right in front of you. Um, and, and some tracks more so than other. If you go to Bristol or Martinsville Speedway for NASCAR, those are half-mile bullring tracks that are like a mini stadium with a racetrack stuffed inside. Uh, compared to where I was just at in Daytona, it's two and a half miles long. And while it may be a little bit farther away from you because it is so large, you still can see pretty much everything. I think the only exception to this rule would be uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway where uh, going down the front stretch, you have grandstands on both the outside and the insides of the track. So that does limit you seeing what's going on down the back stretch and through a couple of the corners. But for the most part, ovals, you see pretty much everything as it's going on. I just want to clarify, I, I don't have zero experience. I have been to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I took a tour there and went to the museum. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what struck me with that was it was so much bigger than I thought it was. It was really an enjoyable tour. Course, so. I thought I thought it was huge too. I drove yeah. by it. There's um, actually a golf course yeah. on the infield there. Yeah, there, there's actually a meme that that shows you what you can fit inside the uh, the IMS, and it's Yankee Stadiums, the Vatican City, the Coliseum, the whole city. I think, yeah, the whole. I think the whole. Yeah, or not Vatican City, maybe the uh, the church, the church, Saint Peter's. Yeah, it's, it's, you can actually fit 
and I have the, the listing here. Okay. Uh, the White House, Yankee Stadium, Churchill Downs, Rose Bowl Stadium, Liberty Island, Roman Coliseum, the Taj Mahal, and the entirety of Vatican City. Okay. Inside of Indianapolis Motor Speedway with room to spare. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's big. <laughs> and I think it's the largest sporting venue in the world. Is that, Am I correct on that? Or I, I don't think it's the largest in the world, but it's up there. It, it's it's up there. Large, um, it has a quarter million seats, individual seats. So butts in seats can reach 250,000, um, not including – the immense infield, um, like you said, there's actually several holes of a golf course go through the infield. Um, but during race weekends, there's not an inch of that track that's not used uh, by fans. Um, and yeah, you can you can pack in a lot of people into that track. And and for the whole month of May, they they pack it in there. Carb day, they pack it in there for concerts. They pack it in there for uh, pole day practices. Uh, you know, they're out there. A lot of my friends are at the track at least once a week. I didn't grow up in Indiana, but I definitely have checked out the 500. And it's something I would suggest people you do once in your life just to say you did it. And if you like it, and a lot of people do like it because they'll camp out there or they'll be there at 6 o'clock in the morning on, on either carb day or race day. And then they're just there the whole day. It's You have war stories. You have uh, just such, some fantastic things to tell people. And it's a lot of fun. It's just it's a little bit too much for me, but I'm more of a baseball guy. But but believe you me, it's uh, it's it's something that you should do once, and then you can tell people you did it. Bucket was like, <laughs> go, Dave. So uh, for for a neophyte racing person like myself, um, other than the obvious, being that the cars look different. What what are, what would you say are the major differences between like an indie car race, uh, like an Opel Real race, or and uh, like a NASCAR race? So NASCARs or whenever IndyCar visits an oval, um, the track is obviously it's a, it's a round shape depending on the the size of the track, uh, pit road and the garage areas on the infield. Um, Generally, a lot of those are less accessible than on a road course, um, partially because of a access standpoint. I usually have to build an, uh, an, a tunnel that goes under the track to get there. Um, depending on what race, if you're going to NASCAR, good luck getting into the garage unless you know somebody. Um, it's really strict. You have to have a paddock pass and all these other things to get in there. Whereas if you're at an IndyCar race or a sports car race and you're on a road course, uh, it's much more open. Um, not everything is centralized. If you go to Daytona, where I was just at, you have the fan zone that's in the infield by the grandstand, uh, by the, the garage area. And then all the displays and the giveaways and the, the team haulers that are selling stuff and, and souvenirs are located usually on the outside of the track, on the backside of the grandstands. Um, it's, if you're at Homestead Miami Speedway, the last race for NASCAR Championship weekend, um, there's almost no fan stuff on the infield except for uh, the paddock itself and all the fan displays and the uh, the sales trailers and everything are all on the outside of the track. When you're at a road course, um, it's completely different because uh, you have this massive amount of areas that people will all congregate. So if you put grandstands at various points throughout the track, you need to have something nearby for them to, be able to, to keep them interested. You have to have Food concessions at every location, pretty much, um, or at the very least a food stand or a food truck. Um, 
you need to have some sort of a central display area that's usually by the paddock um, or by a main grandstands. But there's still things to see, sales trailers all around the track. Um, depending on which track it is, you usually get closer access to the track than you will in an oval. Um, think of an oval track more like a stadium where you get as close as the stadium will get you to the field, but you don't get right on top of the field. You're usually set farther back. Whereas on a road course, you're right next to the track. I mean, other than the wall and the fence being right there, there's a small separating fence between where you and the photographers can get, and you're right there. You're right on top of the action. Um, and street courses, even more so, because you're going through uh, downtown streets, and it's pretty much the width of the sidewalk between you and where the racetrack starts and ends. So uh, my follow-up then is uh, we all have this idea of kind of what NASCAR fans are like. Um, how would open-wheel fans versus NASCAR fans be different um, and maybe include how would the fan experiences be different? Um, so there, there's kind of a saying that I've heard people say that stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. Um, I would absolutely say, depending on what track you go to, everything you would imagine of a stereotype, stereotypical NASCAR fan being can absolutely be true. Um, they're Southern, they love their beer, they love their American and rebel flags, they love explosions and military flyovers and loud nut race cars and big crashes, um... So when you go to races like Daytona, when you go to races like Talladega, Bristol, um, you're absolutely going to see those stereotypical NASCAR fans that you would see or would have ex- seen in, in Ricky Bobby uh, in the movie. Um, that absolutely happens. Um, and But now there are exceptions to the rule. You go down to uh, Homestead just outside of Miami, and it's not quite so intense. Um, but NASCAR fans do travel. Um with that said, if you're going to a NASCAR race in Sonoma, California, there's not going to be that same amount of, you know, southern redneck aspect to the fan fan base. Uh, you're in wine country, California. The, the fans are a little bit different. Um, and with that said, IndyCar fans, sports car fans, they are a little bit different. Um, I'd say NASCAR fans are more... I only watch NASCAR, and NASCAR is the best, and everything else is not as good. Um, IndyCar is kind of odd because some of the tracks they go to, the fans that go there may not necessarily be sport knowledgeable. Um, they're going because it's the event in the area to go to, like the Indy 500. Um, but there are a smaller amount of fans that travel and follow them along as well. Whereas sports car fans, you don't have to be a follower of IMSA to... You can just be a car guy and go to the 12 Hours of Sebring and love it because there's cars everywhere and it's all kinds of cars. They're not all the same looking car and it's actually a car you could drive on the street and they tend to appreciate all forms of motorsports, whereas I'd say NASCAR and IndyCar are more secular. Um, but I would have to say it depends largely on the track you go to and where you're at and... Um, with the exception of odd outliers like Barber Motorsports Park, uh, the most gorgeous racetrack I go to every year outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and where you would consider that to be a bastion of NASCAR um, stranglehold on the car culture in, in the area, 
100,000 fans show up when IndyCar and sports cars come to town. So, you know, it's one of those things that's like, huh, I never would have expected that. And it's not all, you know, rebel flags and we love explosions and fighter jets flying over. It's everybody. It's the everyday kind of fans. So um, it is kind of a more, I would say more regional than it is actual sports uh, league to league. And do you think NASCAR is abandoning some of their traditional markets in the South in favor of major metropolises, and has that backfired? Um, well, see, the, the thing about everybody tends to bring up that that point. It's a very valid point with NASCAR's recent struggles with uh, with attendance. Um, my thought process is the following: NASCAR really hasn't abandoned anywhere, and they haven't added any new tracks a lot in the last couple of years. In fact. The most recent track added onto the Sprint Cup, or now I should say the Monster Energy Cup circuit, uh, was Kentucky. You know, that's right there in the middle of the South. It's not a track that's in the North. Um, and a lot of those tracks that people go to outside of the South are some of the most exciting tracks on the circuit. You know, Watkins Glen, um, Chicago, Kansas City. A lot of these circuits may not necessarily be in the Deep South, but they produce some of the best racing. Um, and with that said, um, my view on their struggles in terms of how many fans they have is I, I kind of look at it as it, it's it's finding its balance. NASCAR was kind of a regional-only sport. Then it exploded exponentially in the stretch of about 20 years through the 80s and the 90s and became one of the most popular sports. And at one point dwarfed the NFL in terms of viewership and fan following in the 90s and early 2000s. And it was here and it went way up to here and now it's kind of falling back down into the middle so it experienced its low point it experienced its absolute limits and now it's kind of balancing out right in the middle um and i i think tracks are starting to notice this um you're getting renovations at certain circuits um phoenix is getting a renovation of their entire grandstand set up atlanta atlanta is doing a renovation um homestead has talked about adding seats or removing seats. Um, Talladega and Daytona both they removed their grandstands they used to use on the backstretch. Daytona is arguably the most comfortable stadium, uh, or, or well, I'd say yeah, stadium in the whole country, uh, let alone racetrack to go to because they've taken uh, and while they removed actual number of seats, they've made the existing seats wider. Uh, individual seats, no more um, wooden benches like a lot of the track used to be. Um, and it's a true stadium setup where you have multiple levels, you have concourses behind the grandstands where there's food vendors and there's the, the shops and everything, no matter where you're sitting. And it's all in a tiered system like you would find in a football or, or a stadium or a hockey arena. So they've kind of looked at, all right, what can we do to enhance the experience for the fans that we have, not find a way to bring more fans into the stadium because we feel like we're losing out. Um, I think they've come kind of, without using that as the reason, they've kind of embraced that that thought process of, okay, this is where it's going to be from now on, and we need to kind of capitalize on what we have. Um, and, and I think tracks are kind of slowly starting to grasp that. But there there is a big argument about uh, has NASCAR alienated its fans with uh, their racing style and um, the format that they use. All right, Chris, you were kind of steering the conversation right into my next question. 
All right, no laughs. Okay. Um, but um, okay. I, I just wanted you. Um, you've been all over to many different parts. I wanted you to uh, just talk about maybe some of your favorite tracks or some of your favorite cities to go visit. So I think in ter- for me, I I look at the tracks that I go to and which ones are my favorite, not just from a fan perspective, um, but also from a professional standpoint, being a photographer. So there are certain tracks that I enjoy going to more than others because they're more picturesque. Uh, although that, I, I now thinking about that would also be part of it from a fan perspective. I think my favorite one, um, just because it's, it's so beautiful and, it, and in a way so quirky, is, as I had mentioned before, Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama. I mean, I never would have guessed my favorite road course would be in the middle of the deep, deep, deep south in Alabama. And yet here it is. It's, uh, I think in my review, I've, I've used the term that a lot of people use. It's the Augusta of car racing. It's just an absolutely gorgeous facility. Um, there's a lot of hills and elevation change. Um, there's just gorgeous trees and flowers are always blooming. And there's, um, the track, the ownership collects random art sculptures and strategically places them around the track. So one of the iconic images of Barber Motorsports Park is there's a giant metal spider sitting on the the hill in the middle of the racetrack, overlooking the racetrack. Um, and there's a lake on the outside of the the rim road around the track. There's a zombie coming out of the middle. Um, there's an Indian chief sitting up on a hill overlooking the track in the infield. There's giant armadillos and tigers and just all kinds of random things uh, for art sculptures around the track. And it, it's just so in, in interesting. And from a fan perspective, they're, they've really got one of the – you mentioned before how you've been to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum – Barber Motorsports Park has their own motorsports museum. It actually is the world's largest collection of motorcycles, um, in addition to race cars. Uh, and, and I've been in there only a couple of times, mostly for events that were being held in there. But it's absolutely stunning. It's, it's multiple floors of just motorcycles and cars and everything hanging on the walls and on display of, of different kinds. And it, it's beautiful. And they actually have a bridge that walks from the museum across the racetrack to the infield and then crosses out onto a peninsula that sits over the track for fans to be literally on top of the action. Um, so Barber is, is one of my favorites. Uh, Road America is another one because here in Wisconsin, the weather is usually great. Um, it's a big track. Again, it's through the forest. It's picturesque. Uh, there's a lot of fans. The food is amazing. Um, everybody is excited for uh, in the media because we can't wait to use our concession coupons in the concession stands where it's not one of those tracks that caters for media. They give you coupons and say, Hey, go, go spend it at our concession stand. And it's great because I get to go eat a cheeseburger that the bread is made out of uh, grilled cheese sandwiches, uh, and have fried cheese curds and sausage sandwiches. I mean, it's just amazing. The food that they have, it's, it's everything you would imagine, uh, Wisconsin having and more. Um, on a NASCAR standpoint, uh, I've always, been partial to Homestead, not for the fact that I've grown up five minutes from the track my whole life and watched it turn out from a pile of dirt to a natural racetrack. Um, it's a mile and a half. It's a standard. It, it's probably the only stereotypical oval on the track uh, circuit for NASCAR. It has some of the best racing because of the way the oval was constructed. Um, it's their championship weekend, so the excitement is there for all three races that are there that weekend. Um and it's just a great facility. And being in November when they held the race, 
the weather is almost always perfect. Um, and then if you're looking for a party, um, the Sebring 12 hours is one of those that is, if you're not in the sports car racing world, you don't know about it, but it, it is on tap with some of the crazy sports parties that you can imagine out there. The infield at Sebring, um, gets pretty wild, uh, to say the least. And, uh, it's a great racetrack. It's built on an old airfield that used to be used for B-17s during World War II, uh, an hour and a half south of Orlando. And it, it's one of those races that's been around forever. And people show up from around the world just to go to this prestigious 12-hour event. Um, so it's one of those that if you're looking at a bucket list of sporting events um, and you want to add some car races to it, Sebring 12 Hours is right up there with you because uh, it, it's a party, that's for sure. All right, Chris. Uh, I want to follow up with this, finish up with this one last question. It's a, a question that I asked uh, last week for about arena football. But since I'm not someone who's been to racing, I'm not a big racing fan, how would you convince me that I need to go to an auto race? Um, as someone who's grown up, um, a racing fan his whole life, um, but also in an area that's not necessarily diehard racing people. Um, Miami's not exactly cars, car race central. Um, the, I will admit, um, even the most exciting car race on TV can get boring. Um, it can seem dull and unexciting. Um, but then anybody, I have yet to meet a person that's ever gone to a race in person having never been and walked away going, nah, that was boring and I didn't have any fun. Um, even the most boring race on TV uh, is absolutely incredible in person. It's the smell, it's the sounds, it's the sensations, the vibrations of the cars, the roar of the engines, the roar of the crowd when something incredible happens. Uh, it's the competition. Uh, simple things like the colors of the cars. It's a very colorful sport. Um there's a tremendous fan engagement. There's a lot of things to do and see. Um, if you go to a street race, um, you can stay right next to the track at a hotel downtown. You can walk to the track. You can be in and around the city, um, and you can do everything all at once uh, without having to drive super far. Um, it's just an all. It's it takes all the best aspects of sporting events. I think, and he puts them all together. It engages the fans. It brings a lot of them together in one place with a common interest. Um, everybody there has somebody that they're rooting for and someone that they're rooting against. Um, and it's just every sensory aspect that you could want in sports amplified all in one event. Uh, so kind of to answer it without answering it, it's kind of one of those things that why why should you go? Because you've never been, and and that's the reason you should go. If you've never been, um, it's one of those things where don't knock it until you try it. Absolutely, uh, is the prevailing wisdom because it, it it demands to be seen in person. It sounds vaguely familiar to the uh, arena football answer. <laughs> now, now I gotta tell I gotta tell you, Chris. I've got a lot of close friends, um, and one of my brother in laws. Every every year they go up to Loudon, New Hampshire. They they go. That's the closest race we have up here, I think. And they absolutely rave about it. And for years they've been trying to get me to go up with them. So yeah. your past, you need to get your butt up there. 
Your passion is coming through so loud and clear. I hope that when I talk about hockey or baseball, I come across half as passionately as as you do. And as somebody also, as somebody who likes to collect memorabilia from the places I go, I thank God every day that I don't follow NASCAR because, man, they got the coolest collectibles. I'm sitting here and on my desk uh, (laughs) is a signed car from an IndyCar race from when I was a little kid. So, yes, if you go into my hallway, there's die cast. Yeah, it's one of those ones that racing can – the bug bites, and it bites really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you know, even as not a fan, those are some of the coolest collectibles out there, better than anything you're going to get from a ball game or a basketball game or anything like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So originally, our plan, Chris, was to to go into a little talk about Florida and uh, the stadium situations down there, but unfortunately, we're not going to have time. So I would like to invite you to come back in in the future, and we'll uh, get into a little Florida centric conversation, if you don't mind. Sounds good to me because there's a lot of news. Great. So yeah, we'll, so that's the plan. We'll set it. We'll set a date. So again, I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, before we head out, I'd like to like you to give you a second to share where our listeners can find you online. Pimp out all your websites and everything. Uh, Instagram, you can find me at Chris Green Photos. Twitter, you can find me at Chris Green Pics. Um, and on Facebook, it's Chris Green Photography LLC. Um, ChrisGreenPhoto.com. Uh, I have a blog that it gets updated uh, semi-occasionally. Uh, I'm trying to keep it updated so people can see more of my travels beyond just going to the racetrack. Because uh, I, I do try and go around the city and hit up some national parks or, or see the sites wherever I'm at. And um, I'll be definitely doing that this next weekend when I go to Portland for the first time. Beautiful. We'll look forward to that. Dan, do you have any stadium journeys planned or just planned? But even if you don't, where can our listeners follow you online? Yeah, home, and I'm working all weekend, so at Dan Lighty 3. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, are you uh, finally going to get to go home, or do you have more stadium journeys planned, and where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, they can follow me at Ballpark Hunter on Twitter. I'm actually going to be in Austin until Saturday, and then Houston uh, overnight and then fly back home to Indianapolis on Tuesday morning at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, but before I do leave, I will check out Round Rock Express. That is a AAA baseball, PCL, which it's been a while since I've been to a PCL game uh, outside of Nashville. And then I'll also be in the Sugarland Skeeters. They play outside of Houston, and they're part of the Atlantic League with uh, Southern Maryland, Somerset, and Long Island. So, what the heck is a Texas team doing in the Atlantic League? I'm going to find out, and I'll tell you all about it soon. Hey, and while you're in Round Rock, don't forget to get some Round Rock donuts. And the Salt Lick is located right across the parking lot from the ballpark. Go there. You yes, won't I'm, yes, I'm planning on doing Salt Lick, Love Barbecue, and I don't think I want to get up at 7 a.m. to wait in line for Franklin because uh, that's a long <laughs> line, and exactly. you have to get up pretty early. But there's so many great places, such as Salt Lick. And La Barbecue and, and Rudy's. Rudy's is amazing as well. So I'm in a good little spot for barbecue and Tex-Mex. I can't complain. Austin, another one of our favorite underrated cities. Dave, do you have any stadium journeys planned in the coming weeks? And where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, nah. Oh, uh, maybe. Maybe I do. Uh, Friday. Friday I'm going to see that Lloyd Brown guy. And I'm going to get to see uh, SunTrust Park for the first time as 
I catch the Atlanta Braves. And then Saturday, it is down to Chris Green territory as I hit uh, Orlando City SC. Uh, after that, I'm basically doing that southern swing that I think the whole podcast crew is doing. Uh, we're hitting, um, after we do the family Disney trip, uh, hitting the Tampa Bay Rays. And then a big loop of minor league balls. So uh, Biloxi... Uh, Shuckers, uh, I'm going to scout out the convention site, uh, New Orleans Baby Cakes, uh, Mississippi Braves, Birmingham Barons, and then the spot my son is most excited to go on this trip, the Lexington Legends. And you can follow all of that uh, at ProFan9 on Twitter and Instagram. So now I have to ask, why is your son the most excited about Lexington? He is the most excited about Lexington because the manager of the Lexington Legends is Scott Thorman, who uh, played a little bit of Major League Baseball, I believe, for the Braves. Uh, but he's from Cambridge, Ontario, which is just around the corner. And he still lives uh, in Kitchener, and his son is in my son's class. So they're buddies, and uh, his family... Um, hang out in Lexington for the summer. So uh, he's very excited to go and see his, his friend uh, and his friend's dad. And um, we're, we're excited to see, to see them as well. I actually gave him the choice. It's the last day of the trip. And he, his most favorite baseball team is the Cincinnati Reds who are also at home. And I said, you could go to the, to see the Reds or you, we could go and see your buddy at uh, Lexington. And without thinking uh, too long, he, he picked uh, the Lexington Legends for sure. Beautiful, beautiful. So, yeah, I think we probably should have communicated a little better because we all are. Mark's already done that Southern loop, Southern League loop. You're doing it next week, and I'm doing it in August. So we, we probably could have coordinated a little bit better. We should all gone at the same time. <laughs> yeah, well, we would have overwhelmed the Brown B&B, though, if we would have that's, done that. That's true. <laughs> so any of our listeners, if you're heading to Atlanta... Look up Lloyd Brown in the, in the Brown B&B. You'll be glad to accommodate you. So as far for myself in the coming weeks, I am heading back down to Jersey. I'm, well, I'm going through Jersey, and I'm going to catch a game in Wilmington, Delaware, and then a game in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. Not Reading, Reading. So you can follow my stadium journeys on Twitter or Instagram at PuckmanRI. And don't forget to check out StadiumJourney.com along with all of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Stadium Journey. And for more of the best podcasts on the internet, easy for me to say internet, he meant to say, check out HIACTalkRadio.com or on Twitter at HIACTalkRadio. Ever wonder how many stadiums you've been to and how that compares to your friends or what your favorite team's record is based on only the games you've attended? There's now an app for that. Sports Passport, the easy way to track, chronicle, and relive every game you attend. Visit sportspassport.com or find Sports Passport in the Apple App Store today. Sports Passport is the official sponsor of the Stadium Journey podcast, and it does work. I do know that the Pawtucket Red Sox are 0-8 in games I've been to this year. (laughs) 
So for Chris Green, Dan Calachico, Mark Viquez, and Dave Cotney, I am Paul Baker wishing you all close games and safe journey. Parkersburg, Gravelburg, Colorado, Ellensburg, Rexburg, Vicksburg, Eldorado, Laramore, Atmore, Havistar, Chattanooga, Chaston, Nebraska, Alaska, Opelika, Baraboo, Waterloo, Kalamazoo, Kansas City, Sioux City, Cedar City, Dodge City, what a pity I've been everywhere.